our issues are so urgent, our issues are so complex, and we cannot do those, go through these issues alone, and we need each other to come up with solutions. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Co Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is at its core a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. These are artists, community leaders, healthcare advocates, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it centers around this you know, big point of finding purpose and sharing gifts. So uh, I can't wait to continue amplifying Native Voices. How are you doing, Leah? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Super great, you know, just uh, just chilling. I'm convincing people left and right of my greatness. <laughs> <laughs> so I know a lot of focus, you know, uh, with urban Natives is kind of centered around the cultural corridor in Minneapolis, but there is a Native community in Duluth, Leah. You betcha. And, and there's Native communities everywhere, of course. But um, And our next guest uh, is helping a lot in that community, and so I'm very excited to speak with her about uh, all the work that she's doing in the Duluth area on the shores mm-hmm. of Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited to speak with our guest today. Uh, her name is Leanne Littlewolf. Leanne Littlewolf is a Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe citizen and co-executive director for the American Indian Community Housing Organization in Duluth, near the shores of Gitche also known as Lake Superior. Uh, she says she provides an indigenous approach to community and economic development, as well as an expertise in trauma-informed, culturally-based strategies. So can't wait to hear more about her story and all the things that she's doing in the community. And here she is. Buju Leanne. Buju Hanin. I'm Leanne Little Wolf, Indigenous Kaz Jaganashimowin, and Sokiyajik Indigo, Mayungan Indu Dame, and Gazaga Squaj, and Kagna Unjiba. And I use she, her pronouns, but I my uh, traditional name is Everyday, and I belong with the Wolf Clan, and I come from Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. I'm a tribal citizen, and I um, am the co executive director for ACO, which is the American Indian Community Housing Organization. To the American Indian Community Housing Organization, could you just talk about how how it all began? I, I know uh, in 1993 it was founded. Uh, could you just tell us how it began and how it's evolved since then? Yeah, I you know I wasn't around when it's when this organization started, and how I understand it is that there was a few um, Native community members who were at a community meeting up at the Damiano, which is like a a social service um, center. They had been in that meeting and they um, felt frustrated that there wasn't a lot of emphasis on Native issues. So they went, they left the meeting and they went out in the parking lot and they were talking about the things that they wished for. And then they're like, and we're in a parking lot. Like this is our meeting spaces in this parking lot. So from that is my understanding is that they decided to start a nonprofit organization and it was established in 1993, became a 501c3 organization. Um, the first thing that ACO focused on was emergency shelter for um, people that were fleeing violence. 
And so they started with Dabinu Event Shelter, which is a 10-bed shelter. They purchased a single-family home and uh, renovated it to the to shelter space. And so that's been up and running since the mid-1990s. And then, um, you know, shelter stays are usually 30 days. It's not enough time for people to really get on their feet. And a lot of times when someone leaves like an unsafe situation, you know, you're leaving with what you can grab. It's usually not much. So to, you know, just think about rebuilding your life and grabbing like maybe a backpack and just throwing whatever you can and getting out to save your life. Like, you know, that's the situation a lot of survivors are in. So um, the next thing that ECO did is they purchased a, uh, apartment complex and they turned it into transitional housing so then um shelter residents could have access to that transitional housing and you know and that's usually lasts for like a year to two years helps you get on your feet and then you can move into permanent housing so it started started as like mainly geared towards housing correct and then now there's like all these different programs within it um could you talk more about the additional programs that have come out of ACO? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, is like when you have access to community space, there's so many things that are possible. There's so many things that you can do. And so um, downtown Duluth, the YWCA had built this building in the around the turn of the century, 19, early 1900s. And it was it's a historic building. And they decided that they wanted to sell it. And so ACO was in position to buy it and um, purchase the building in 2007 and worked on renovating it for like five years, had to raise like over $8 million to renovate it. And uh, this space, you know, it it's huge. There's like a big gym. There's a, there's a swimming pool. It's not used anymore, but there's, um, there's a lot of space in the uh, lower level. We have a community center. We have a, a rooftop that we actively use and there's a lot of office space. And then there were, uh, single room occupancies. So they were SROs and they were put in place because the reason the YWCA had built this building was that they had heard, the women in in Duluth had heard that there were young women who were coming to Duluth, getting off at the depot and they were coming here for work. And it was, it was um, young immigrant women. And then they were going missing. Nobody knew where they were and they were just gone. So the women got together and they raised money to build this building and they wanted um, young women to have a safe place to go. So they would send people down to the train, pick the, go and meet the young women, bring them up and then they could rent an SRO. And they did a lot of like employment support and those kinds of things. So the, the building itself has a lot of history around like responding to community need. And so when ACO moved into this building in 2012, um, they renovated the SROs into um, 29 units of permanent supportive housing. So there's efficiency, one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedroom apartments on site. So we have 29 households that live on site, and that's like single adults, um, families with children. You know, we usually have anywhere from 30 to 40 adults and anywhere from 40 to 60 children that live on site. So this is their home. And then community space. So we have what was what used to be the Trepanier Hall, which was a really beloved community space. Um, it was people had candidate forums and they had um, folk dances and they had the Unitarian Universalist Church met there. I mean, it was used for many different purposes. Um, 
we uh, renamed it the Dr. Robert Paulus Cultural Center. And before the pandemic, we would have over 300 different community events in that space. So this um, building, the Gamaji Minoba Ma Dizimin building, has become like a community hub. And when you have community come in, community brings their ideas, they bring their vision, they bring their energy. And so that's that's really when you're Cole, when you're talking about the different programming, it it all has stemmed from our our indigenous community. That's how our arts and cultural programming started. Um, that's how our children's and youth programming. We do a food sovereignty initiative. We have social enterprises. We have a um, we do gardening on site. We have a health equity initiative, which really came as a result of the pandemic. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Leanne Littlewolf, Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe Citizen and co-executive director for the American Indian Community Housing Organization in Duluth. Leanne, could you just talk about, you know, being the co-executive director at uh, the organization? Like, how does that work? And I know, how is it like to work with uh, co-executive director Michelle LeBeau? So I worked at ACO in 2017. I started working. I started working here in 2017, and I I took on a role as an advocate training specialist, and I it was really focused on addressing um, sexual um, sexual violence and domestic violence and community violence, and and coming up with training to help um, our whole community respond better to um, American Indian survivors. And I did that role for a year, and then I became the economic development director. And there were some really direct connections between the, the year that I spent doing research on violence and um, trying to figure out like how, well, first, we have extraordinarily high experiences of um, with, with violence. And I, while I was doing that research and thinking about doing the trainings, I had to really connect that to my own life. And so I started thinking about when I was a little kid and how much violence I saw as a little kid. And it was um, normalized, even though it's the most abnormal, those are the most abnormal experiences. And I I realized that no one throughout my whole life had ever talked with me about that. Nobody helped me make sense out of that. Nobody helped me put that into a context or perspective. Nobody helped me make like meaning of how I could like repair myself and also continue in the world in a good way. And so I, I, I realized like I had been left unattended as a child through that and as an adolescent and as a young adult. And I thought like how many of our community members have been, have experienced that? I'm kind of wondering, but it, it all is tied together because those, you know, in leadership, you have to, you have to care about the issues that impact our people and you have to care about the issues that impact that in the, a lot of times they're the unspoken issues. And it's really easy to follow trends and say like what everybody else is talking about. It's a little bit harder to really pay attention to like where our people, what the issues are. And a lot of times they're they're invisible for, for a long time. So I think about the issue of missing murdered indigenous relatives, right? Which started out as missing murdered indigenous women. And, you know, we had, um, we had something really horrific happen in my family to my grandma. And as a child, it had such a deep impact on me, and I never spoke about it. And I think about that incident 
almost on a daily basis and have done that my entire life. And um, I always thought that we, my family, this was like a very abnormal experience that nobody else went through. And there was like a lot of stigma with it. So I never talked about it, not even with my other family members. And then in uh, when they, when there was legislation proposed for the missing murdered indigenous women's task force, we went down ACO, ACO staff, myself and another staff, we went down to the hearings and we heard native women testify and the same similar stories, different stories, but heart, heart wrenching, heartbreaking stories. And after that hearing, we all went out into the hallway and we sobbed and we held each other. And I, to me, that was like, I realized like our issues are so urgent. Our issues are so complex and we cannot, we cannot do those, go through these issues alone. And we need each other to come up with solutions. So in my leadership here at ACO, I'm excited to work with my community. I'm excited that I'm in a position that I've been working my whole life to figure out how you run a, a nonprofit organization and how do you secure resources and how do you put good ideas into action and how do you work with others in a good way. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I wanted to ask about the the mural outside of the, the building in Duluth, um, that big, beautiful, powerful uh, mural. Um, could you just talk about, I mean, if you could uh, talk about that mural and just how that came to be? Sure. I think that um, well, Hannah Smith was working with Honor the Earth and they wanted to do a large public mural in Duluth. And they uh, approached ACO to see if we would partner. And um, Honor the Earth had a connection with an artist collective called Insurgents. And so it just kind of came together. And we had a we had a space up on our rooftop on a wall. And Insurgents showed up. It was Voltan, Derek, and Leah. And they had, um, they talked through like, what should this, um, it was co-designed, I guess. And it was like, they, they came through with these ideas and then uh, they really wanted to have a message about protecting the water and the importance of our water. And I think that the, the artists, they listened to the community and they started to pull together all of these different ideas um, around, you know, Anishinaabe women's role with protecting the water and the issue with um, resource extraction and how a lot of times um, that's associated with uh, violence towards women and um, missing murdered indigenous women and how that we're aware of those connections, but the, the wider community often isn't. And um, how can we protect our water if we're not protecting our women? And so there's a, there's a lot of complex ideas in that mural. And it's also around visibility that we are here and that that's the first large scale public art piece created by indigenous artists, you know, in our city. So that's really important too. You know, we have like statues and we have different things, different art pieces that are, that have been, um, they, they look, they look native, but they're created by non-native artists. So, you know, there's that issue. I think since the mural has come, has been up, you know, has brought a lot of attention to um, those issues and then also brought a lot of like recognition for Indigenous art. And we have more Indigenous art now in Duluth 
than ever before. Like if you go to the to the Gichio Day Park, there's there's just there was a collective artist who worked on the um, different murals there, and so it's it's just been really incredible to see Duluth be a place where our art flourishes. You talked about you know the the mural and it bringing awareness to uh, certain issues to the wider public. Um, could you just uh, talk about that maybe a little bit more and just are there are there other you know ways that maybe this organization is bringing about awareness of issues in order to tackle that? Yeah, I I think that we're a community organization and like we we went to present at this uh, this there's a community uh, grant fund and we went to present and it's there was a lot of community people there and they had never heard of our organization so we were a little astounded because we've been here for so long but there was not awareness that we exist so we either have like echo you guys are great and you guys do incredible work and there's a lot of recognition and then there's like no recognition so that's like this really strange continuum right so um we're right downtown. We're very visible. <laughs> I don't know. It just astounded us. So, but the way that as a community organization that we work on a lot of these issues is like we 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 will have community gatherings. So like they, ACO put on a, um, around like climate change. We had an artist um, showcase and that brought in like artists from all over the place who had just this different expressions and different, um, just beautiful, incredible art, just and then art, you know, speaks in a different way to us. You know, it, it it evokes like our emotional response. It engages our thinking in a different way. It challenges us. It it just, it, you know, it does so many different things. So you can walk in front of a visual piece or, or a, I don't know, like they got so many different ways that there's art. It engages the community to think deeply about those issues. We've had like a modern dance performance here with Rosie Simmons on uh, DNA and historic trauma. I mean, that was a, that was incredible. It was a free event. And it, a lot of our events are cross-cultural. So there's people from many different like cultural perspectives who come. So you get like this, like, like learning. It's like this mutual learning. I don't know. So we do that. And then we do some advocacy. Like I said, we went down to the the legislature to support this task force. And then so excited to see when it finally passed. And then they had that task force and they came out with a report. So we helped share out that report. And then the office was initiated. And we also work, you know, as we're allies with other, with other community groups. So we also wanted to see the office for the um, African-American women, you know, who have been missing and murdered. And it's not like, we have uh, we want to we want to lift up all of these issues, and then there's still you know we have community members who are missing, and we need attention on that. But other ways that we lift up issues, I would say like one of the biggest ones in the last several years has been food sovereignty. And you know, in twenty, I started here in 2017, and ACO had already started some really great practices. So, like I said, we have a permanent supportive housing program that's on site, and the staff early on decided that they weren't going to offer free, you know, like high sugar foods. So when we, um, they started a pantry, it has staples in it. They would, there was a food truck that would go around where they could, 
whole food alphabet, they made a decision not to take sugar foods. They took um, fresh foods and they started cooking meals on site. So they had started that. There was garden boxes that were built by staff that had woodworking skills. Um, they just said, well, we'll just make some garden boxes. And they started planting. And then people gifted ACO with traditional plants. So there's sweet grass, there's sage, there's tobacco. And then that's those are opportunities to teach about those plants and what they, they mean to us and how they help us. Um, and we have had, you know, historically, we've had a lot of cultural disruptions and some families and some individuals, we don't grow up knowing it's not our fault. So anytime that we can always do, we can always learn. So it's great to have the, the kids help gather the sage. We talk about the practice of smudging. Um, we talk about plants as our relatives. And then those kind of early practices grew to the, you know, now there's like veggies and herbs and perennials that grow up on the on the rooftop and then in a back garden. And then um, the youth, you know, take that and they go to farmer's market with it and they also create products with it. We had a visitor come from Pine Ridge, um, Nick Hernandez, who came to talk about how there's so many entrepreneurship opportunities through like food systems work. And it was like these young, these young girls who came and they were talking about the um, lotions that, that they were making and the hand salves that they're making. And they just jumped up and started talking about the different plants that they used and what the properties of that plant were and like why they were using it. And, you know, they just already, they have, they're, they're gaining like all this traditional plant knowledge and it's incredible. So I think, that's, you know, you see our culture come back in a really powerful way. And then um, food sovereignty is it's our right. It's our right to our foods. It's our right to have knowledge about our foods. It's a, it, it, it is a deep, um, it touches so many different issues. You know, it's about our environment and the quality of our environment. You know, we should have clean water to have our rice in. Um, the stuff that's going on with the climate is really concerning with our foods. So it, it kind of connects to a lot of different issues. Is there some overlap with the Indigenous First gift shop and foods? Because I know, I remember Cole asked me a couple of years ago, where can I get a big old bundle of sage? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Indigenous First gift shop. Um, yeah. Is there some overlap then with with the gift shop? Yeah. So the gift shop started as a, it was a, it, we started with the art, Echo started with the art gallery and started doing art shows with artists. And then that merged into this, this um, indigenous first art gallery gift shop. And it was, the focus was on art. And then um, we purchased a corner grocery store and we're going to turn it into an indigenous food market. And so that's going to, it has, it takes time to do a development like that. So in preparation, we had like a small bookshelf that had some indigenous food on it. And that has grown to a corner of the gift shop. And it's incredible the amount of revenue that has been generated, um, both by the art and the food. And I would say that they that they really exceeded the revenue has exceeded like anything that I would have thought of. Um, and two thirds of it goes back directly to the artists and the entrepreneurs. So there's that. And then um, we're building relationships with food producers so um, we can get ready for that market to open. So we have, we started a winter market and then that turned into a summer market. And again, the focus was on art and food. 
And those are incredible events. And then uh, every year, ACO would have a baboon market. So in November, there would be a market with vendors. And what it is, is it's like easy, it's easy access retail space. You know, so it's like for emerging and established entrepreneurs to come in and to like showcase their work and they usually sell out. So it's, it's pretty incredible. I would say that with Indigenous First, they, the shop started with about 20 to 30 different artists that were featured. We have two coordinators, um, co-coordinators. It's Avery makes room for them and Cayman Goods guy. And I asked um, Cayman to add like, can you tell me how many people are featured in the shop? It's 129. So, you know, in 2017, it was about 30. We're in 2022, 129. And once um, our community saw that they could have access to retail space, community members started to innovate and bring in high quality products. So I would say like even people who never thought that they would be like an entrepreneur, like, well, I have this great idea. and like. My one of my favorite stories is is Cayman Cayman came and said, "Hey, I I want to see like baby clothes that are like indigenous and like have our art and our ideas." And what do you think of that? I said, "Well, it would be great if you sketched up some ideas and like just go from there." And so within a couple hours, came back and said, "Well, I have these three designs, and they were great designs." And so then Cayman took those and got them vectored by a local artist and then researched how where to get um, onesies and then where to get them printed and within two weeks had them on the shelf on the shelves in the store and they were they sold and so and it was like um take it was like resiliency it was around like um predisposed to learning my language I mean, they were like really, they were takes on like the negative stereotypes with us and then turning them into these like positive strengths that were for babies, you know, messages for and hopes for babies. So that's, so that's one example, but there's like many examples and we have so many either they, they've been established, but they just haven't had retail space. And then we have emerging entrepreneurs who are just like, yeah, I could do this. And that, that's the whole hope with the Niwin market. A nonprofit can build a community-owned um, business. And what I hope is that other people in our community will say, well, ACO did that, but I don't want to do that. And I can do that. And we need to see more Native businesses. Thank you very much for your time today, Chimi Gwage. Uh uh, if you have any, you know, final thoughts you'd like to say uh, with, uh, you know, the organization or just any future events that are happening or anything like that, uh, let us know. Well, then, well, yeah, I, I want to say to both of you, like, thank you for having this radio show. I listened to the show. You did an interview with Kevin Goodsky, and I would listen to that interview like multiple times. And I would listen to that interview with my grandson. So we we oh. listened to your show like awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. So and I, oh. it's nice to meet both of you. Leanne Little Wolf, everybody. Um, it's just it's great uh, to see all to hear about all the great work she's doing in Duluth um, and how that organization is. You know, has evolved and it's evolved with the community there. So, 
Absolutely. I have been looking forward to talking to Leanne. I know I've been, I've admired her work from afar. And yeah, it's really great to to speak with her. Yeah, so thank you to Leanne Littlewolf, Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe Citizen, and co-executive director for the American Indian Community Housing Organization in Duluth. I'm Co Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.